0: You're listening to Ask Dr. E, where Dr. Michael Easley answers your biblical or theological questions in 10 minutes or less. Today's question is about testing God with your offering. Sarah writes in, first, I want to say that I really enjoy Ask Dr. E. The episodes are the perfect length, and I really appreciate your willingness to address difficult and controversial topics. Well, thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Could you explain the concept of Quote, testing God with your offerings? I have heard some friends recently discuss this concept from Malachi 3. It seems confusing to reconcile those verses with Deuteronomy 6.16. Does God, quote unquote, return favors to us? Where is the line with prosperity gospel in regards to offerings?
1: Okay, you and I were talking about this question, and you said you've heard this kind of trafficked in circles.
0: Oh, totally. It was funny because as we were talking about it, my dad says, I don't, I, "What is she talking about?" I'm like, "Oh, well, this is because you are the senior pastor of a church and you don't teach these things, <laughs> and so you've never heard of it." Whereas I had the the joy and sometimes not of uh, you know attending a variety of churches. I attended so many churches in high school because I traveled in the summers and would attend a different church every Sunday, and so I got to be exposed to just so many denominations and thoughts. And I said, oh yes, this is very prominent in certain sects and certain you know cultures of churches where they talk about, you can test God with your offerings. I'm repeating what I've heard. It's the only place in the Bible where you are told you can test God. Well, so you can tithe and test God and he will overflow your barn house, I think is kind of what Malachi says. It does say, so I can't wait for you to break this down. It does say in Malachi, test me. But then of course we know Jesus refutes Satan saying, You shall not test the Lord. So,
1: okay, what do so, we do, Dad? So, uh, this is this is great. I mean, I'm just struck by what I don't know. I and mean, I don't, that sounds arrogant. I, I'm struck, <laughs> I'm struck by the tentacles of prosperity theology. Oh, yeah, I, I'm struck by how they can stretch things and distort things. Let's talk about a number of things. Number one, this is Mosaic law. This is under the Mosaic Covenant.
0: Okay, Malachi, where is this happening in the time like who's king during Malachi? Is it like what
1: Oh gosh, you're asking me that? Yeah. I gotta look I need, up. I
0: need to understand where Malachi yeah. is in the uh, in the right, timeline. All right.
1: So checking my expert resources, because I don't know this off the top of my head, it appears that it's about four forty-four BC. This one author points out that chapter one, verse six and three, verse ten of Malachi talk about Honoring the God with these offerings. So the conclusion is the temple's finished.
0: So the temple that was reconstructed Mm -hmm. post their Babylon captivity, Ezra and. uh, So
1: Haggai, Ezra, and Zechariah don't have a temple. It's under construction. But this author's saying by Malachi's time it's operational. Now, to what degree it's rebuilt? This is the second temple. Right. Right. Okay. Right. So he's a prophet. We don't know a lot about him, but let's go back to the question. A couple things. Joyce Baldwin, for you geeks who buy books, she is a brilliant Old Testament I love the stuff I yeah. read of hers. And let me just read what she says on the particular. Well, first of all, let's talk about offerings. The offerings were between 10 and 22.5%. The offerings were on a schedule of time First fruits, uh-huh. first harvest, yep. firstborn, yep. and those happened different cycles of the year. There were free will offerings, there were peace offerings, there were guilt offerings. If you sinned and you had to offer a guilt offering, that's just whenever you, you know, were found out and confessed your right. sin. So this is an ongoing process in the temple complex era. So it's not just one and done. If you add up all the offerings they were to give, it's over twenty two percent.
0: And can I? This may be like a whole other ten-minute Q and A. But do you think there's a difference between tithes and offerings? Yes. Okay. Yes. That's a short the short answer.
1: The we tithe. Can... <laughs> the just means a tenth.
0: Oh. The literal word
1: means, which is why a lot of people say the tenth. But when you look at the whole corpus of what they were required to do, I mean, a free will offering is a free will offering. Interesting. Okay. I
0: attended a church once where you would check when you were donating if it was a tithe or an offering. You delineated. Huh. So anyway, that's, I mean, that was the first time I was like, what? I don't know. They probably I don't differentiated
1: this. the funds it went to. You know, Ty, that's probably general operational, operational yeah. yeah. I've always taught and preached, you know, start at 10%. If you can't, find, but start somewhere. But that's the minimum. Mm. And by the time you get to 2 Corinthians 8, that's one of the most incredible chapters because he say they gave beyond their ability. They gave out of their poverty, and they're giving to the mother church. It's the craziest story in the New Testament about giving. Anyway, so... What the proverb is, you're robbing God. You think it's bad to rob a person? You're robbing God. So that's what the prophet that's is That's what Malachi using. is saying. Right. Okay, yep. And so let me just read what Joyce Baldwin writes. She says on verse 10, Let those who have been doubting God's existence take seriously his demands and honor him with substantial gifts. For the tithes were at least as costly as a tenth of a modern wage packet quote, that there may be food in my house. And let me stop for a minute there. That was to feed the priest and all the Levitical complex because the priest did not work like everybody else. Okay. The priest, Levites, maintained the complex. So that 10th fed the staff. Yeah. Okay. All right. She continues. If his people are to blame, at the same time they are depriving themselves of the joyful rights of God's servants, a share in his work. They also missed a personal discovery that God pours an overflowing blessing out of all proportion to the human gift. And then she quotes the windows of heaven, where she said, open to rain down the flood, and that's an homage to Genesis 7:11. will at his command shower overwhelming supplies of God's gift. Now, to the question, is it applicable today and do we use it that way? Craig Blazing writes very succinctly: the promise was reaffirming the obedience blessing motif of the Mosaic Law, Okay. the blessing curse type. Yeah, thing. I yeah, do yeah. This I'll do this. Okay, and then he says, "Let me cut to the chase here." He says, "One must be careful in applying these promises as believers today." The Mosaic Covenant, with its promise of material blessing mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Israel for obedience, is no longer in force. The New Testament speaks of generosity in giving, does not require a tithe of the believer today. The New Testament speaks of God's blessing those who give generously to the needs of the church. It's not a one-to-one like it was in the Old Testament. In Uh the Old Testament, if you did this... Under
0: Mosaic law, God said, when you obey me and you honor me, I'm going to bless you. Great grain, wine, yep. oil.
1: Your animals won't and die. And when you and disobey childbirth. me, I'm going to judge yep. you for it. And the blessing and curse motif is fascinating in the Old Testament because it was a reminder: if you do well, everything's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. It's easy. Mm-hmm. It's easy to obey because the outcome is always yeah. good. And if you don't, it's going to trouble. It's be bad. So you know. The pious Jew, when things went bad, the first thing he or—I mean, Job—first thing he or she does is go, what have I have, sin? What have I done, Lord?" Yep. In some ways, I kind of wish it was that way in our lives, right? That we have a cause and effect punishment for our sins and go, "Oh, I, that is sin. I need to." You know, anyway, yeah. but we're in the age of grace, which is a wonderful thing. So, the problem with any prosperity theology—if you do this, then God will do that. What I like to say is that giving and generosity puts you in a posture for God to bless. Yes. It doesn't mean you're going to be
0: blessed. Yes. And I mean, even if we look straight at this Malachi verse, verse 10 says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessing without measure. Yeah. Now, yeah. I can't be sure because I don't right. read Hebrew and I'm not looking at it. But yeah, I mean, it's like, it's not that I don't think it's saying if you tithe... You know, you're full Tie the 10%. I'm going to give you back 20%. Like, that's what it says. It's
1: rain. And understand, in an agricultural economy, basically crops and husbandry, that's how people lived. Mm-hmm. You didn't have shopping malls and all mm-hmm. this nonsense. You husbandry growing, is cattle, right? Yeah. Is, well, yeah. Well, livestock. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. So— Goats and lambs, because cattle were were very expensive to raise in antiquity, to have cattle meant you were really wealthy. But goats and lambs bred like crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that was an easy thing to, I mean, think of the story of, you know, the lambs and Jacob and all that he did. Anyway, I digress. So in agricultural husbandry farm life, you were, if God didn't rain, there are no sprinkler systems. Mm -hmm. If God didn't prevent locusts, your crops were gone. right. So for the Mosaic Law and the Mosaic Covenant, if you do this, I'll, I'll bless you. Mm-hmm. And the barns and storehouse metaphor is totally understandable for that community. We have so much grain, we got to build another barn. Yeah, we have so many animals, we got to give some away. We mm-hmm. can actually eat one because mm-hmm. we have so many animals. Mm-hmm. So that was the cultic blessing of the Mosaic Covenant, if then, mm-hmm. and you can't bring that into the New Testament. Otherwise. Every time somebody does something, God should one-to-one bless them. Right. Or curse them. Yeah. Well, and I've often said about these charlatans, and I don't make any pretense. People that teach this are charlatans. If you say, God's going to you know, give me $100, God will bless you tenfold, mm-hmm. why don't they exemplify it? Right. Why don't they you take it out of their own yeah. pocket and give a $1,000? You give everything and away. And <laughs> God's going to give me $10,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Show me one time. Yeah. Lastly. Yeah. Go to an impoverished country and try to pull this stud. Yeah. Which they do. Right. And those people are still impoverished. Right. And they're living off the backs of people that believe the lie of prosperity theology.
0: Yeah. So when I am sitting in a church or listening to something or whatever, and I hear a application being made from an old testament text, I and so I'm saying this out loud so that you can like correct, guide, add to it, whatever. I almost always have a caution. (laughs) <laughs> like I have my I have my hands out right now. I'm kind of like, I'm not sure I'm gonna accept this person's application quite yet when it's coming straight from the Old Testament text. I want to consider it. I want to think about what in the New Testament has been similarly taught on and try to pull a principle like stemming from the New Testament. Not that we can't pull we absolutely can pull principles from the Old Testament to apply to our lives. I just think this is where it gets so sticky. There's so much more to think through, direct application from the Old Testament.
1: We have to be careful. And I've been very guilty of this in my early teaching years of over-principalizing the Bible. Okay. Here's a principle from this passage. Yeah. It sounds great. If I can see it clearly in the passage, look at the Proverbs. Don't greet your friend with a loud voice in the morning. Okay, what's the principle there? Don't be obnoxious. Right. I've just made a new law mm. of a kind. And I'm not saying we don't use principal observations. I do. But I've been a lot more judicious. And what is that passage saying? What did it mean to them? Mm -hmm. And is there an application today? Mm -hmm. We often hear the cliche, there's one interpretation, many applications. Yeah, and even in that, we need to usher care. You know, at this chapter, Hannah, I'm terrified. You hear me talk about James three one. Not many of yeah. you become teachers, lest you will incur a stricter judgment. I'm terrified to say the wrong thing. Right. And I use the word seems a lot, as you know. Mm-hmm. It seems to me, but over principalizing can be just as troublesome uh-huh. as trying to apply a passage. Now that said. You're looking for, and this is doing theology, what does the New Testament say about this? Uh-huh. So, for example, on this passage, we would jump over to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. He himself is our peace. He made both groups one and broke down the banner of the dividing wall, abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments in ordinances, so he might make the two into one man. What Paul's saying there is there's a no law. There is no law of these rules and regs. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean we don't obey the law? No, of course there's moral code. Mm-hmm. But the fulfillment of what Jesus did, he did everything the law couldn't do. Romans 10 verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness mm-hmm. for everyone who believes. Mm-hmm. You're not righteous because of what you do. You're righteous in who you believe. Mm -hmm. So that's a hard concept for any Christian to grapple with because we're hardwired to do. Yeah. Let me fix. Yeah. So applicationally, always run to the New Testament to say what parallel passages. I would go to 2 Corinthians chapter Mm 8 and say, study what that means about giving above and beyond your ability. Mm -hmm. I would look at anything in Acts where people gave and God blessed them. I wouldn't say it's one to one. But I'd say it puts you in a posture for God to use you. The other thing is, prosperity theology is a lie from hell when it speaks only of material and yeah. physical blessing. Yeah. There are spiritual blessings. Absolutely. Ephesians 1.13 is a chilling verse. He has blessed you with every yeah. spiritual blessing yeah. in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Yeah. You don't need any more blessings. Right. You need to understand what you have. Right. You're forgiven. He's patient with you. He's reconciled you. He's called you his adopted child. You're part of the kingdom of God. You're assured of your ongoing forgiveness as you confess. You're assured of your salvation on the last day. You're assured he's going to raise you from the dead. I mean, you know, uh, Lewis Berry Chafer listed 33 things that happen the moment you trust Christ. We don't appreciate because we're not taught what blessing is Mm. in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. It's not simply money or a Mm -hmm. bigger house or you know beautiful children, or whatever mm-hmm. there's spiritual blessings that are far more valuable mm-hmm. than I give ten, and God gives me a hundred
0: mm-hmm. all right. Well, if you've got a question for Dr. E, call us, text us, email us. The info's in the show notes. Ask Dr. E is part of the Michael Easley in Context ministry. You can find more shows and biblical resources at michaelincontext.com. Ask Dr. E is produced by me, Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonomorphic, and music composed by Jason Germain.